My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. That's what leverage does. It magnifies your outcome. Now, it magnifies it both ways. So if it goes down, you're in trouble. But if it magnifies it in the right way, um, that's extremely powerful. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we'll continue our conversation with Financial Autonomy podcast host, Paul Benson. Discover what happens after 8 months into closing a business deal when the bank calls to let him know that they won't offer the loan anymore and how his first property he purchased with a 10% deposit let him walk away with $80,000. Benson dabbles in many different forms of investment, one of them being property. However, sometimes the risk can seem to outweigh the reward when you're first starting out in any type of investment. I bought the financial planning business in 2008 and at that point, the Australian share market was down 30% although when we struck the deal, it was almost at its peak. So we struck because it just takes a long time. There's a lot of due diligence and a lot of processes to go through. So we struck the deal late 2007, share market was at its peak. Uh, share market started to tank and it's less so now but at the time the business was and the revenue was very much linked to the state of the share market. A lot of the the fees were a percentage of clients' balances and their balances were largely in shares. So market tanked which meant income of the business tanked. So I had to go back to the person that we'd we'd sort of done a handshake deal on and we're in the process of formalising the contracts and say, hey, I can't get this to stack up anymore. I know we agreed on this price but I can't get this to work given that the income's now dropped. And so we renegotiated there and we cut a couple of hundred thousand off the price and at the time I thought, great, I've got myself a good deal here. And, you know, I became the owner of the business the 1st of July. At that point, the share market was down 30%, which historically a bear market, 30% about as much as it drops. So I came in, fingers crossed that the worst was behind us and the market continued to drop another 20%. It dropped 50% all up. And I'd taken on as much debt as I have ever had in my whole life. Just when we thought his luck couldn't get any worse, the future kept looking grimmer six, eight months into it, the bank that lent us the money decided 
they weren't prepared to lend to financial planning businesses anymore. And we were a little bit lucky that we had a three-year loan. So as much as they didn't want to be in there anymore, they they couldn't break the term, which normally it's the customers thinking about, oh, do I want to fix? And then I'm locked in for three years. But in this case, it worked in my favor because probably the bank wanted to say, go away, but they couldn't because I had a three-year term. So that gave me a little bit of room, but it was a stressful time. And I can very clearly remember coming home and speaking to my wife about we might have to sell the house here because I'm not sure I can keep all this afloat. And if the bank doesn't want to lend me the money, then I've got to find someone else to lend the money. And I don't know if anyone else is going to lend me the money. And I don't know how this is going to play out. And it's not much fun to come home to your wife and say, we might lose the house. I mean, not lose the house, but we might be forced to sell the house here. But she was great and she sort of, look, if, if that's what we have to do, then that's fine. We'll rent and then we'll, we'll buy again down the road. Now, fortunately, it never came to that uh, and we were able to refinance and the market recovered. Although the outlook was grim, Benson realised there was a light in the dark. There was an upside to acquiring the business during that difficult time, which was that clients were keen to talk to somebody because they were concerned and they didn't attribute any blame to me because I didn't put them in the strategies. I kind of just inherited it. And that the previous owner, he hadn't done, you know, he was fine. He'd done good quality work anyway, but it's natural for people to want to blame somebody. And they certainly couldn't blame me, but what they could do was find someone who was eager to listen and eager to help and eager to build a relationship, and they were eager to do something. So it gave us a good basis to to create a relationship it would have been a lot more difficult if i had have bought the business and uh it, it ticked along fine for two years or even a year and then crashed then they could have said oh it was fine under the previous bloke and then as soon as you took over it's all gone pear-shaped all right in this instance they couldn't say that and as I say, it forms some the basis of some great relationships and clients that are still clients to this day because of how we work together through what for them was a really worrying time, particularly for clients who'd retired or recently retired and they had X amount in super and they'd done the numbers and this is going to last me this long and then all of a sudden, they said the share market dropped by 50%. Most people who are retired, of course, aren't going to be 100% in the share market, but their balance might have dropped 20%, which is still a heck of a lot. And and you're looking at that and thinking, well, gee, if this stays down here or, or it's impossible to, well, not impossible, but it's, it's a natural inclination to extrapolate and say, well, if this keeps going, I'm going to be out of money in 10 years. Now, of course, that's not what happens, but in the heat of the moment, it's natural to think that way. And so working with people through that period, as much as it was stressful, and I mean, I bought the business hoping that we were going to add a whole lot of new clients and and just none of that happened. It was all just trying to keep the existing clients from jumping off a cliff, right? Which in terms of building a business and building profitability and paying off a debt, I mean, it, it was pretty hard, but it was what needed to be done and it, and it did create good foundations long-term. So in terms of worst investment experience, as I say, long-term, it was a good experience, but for the first few years, it was a hard experience and, and, and I probably 
I don't know, just about every person I've spoken to that's bought a business thinks in hindsight that they paid too much. But anyway, I'm in that camp too. In hindsight, I probably paid too much. Um, But what are you going to do? Every investor has an aha moment at some point. For Benson, it was the first property he purchased with a 10% deposit that let him walk away with $80,000. I think that one was really crucial. Yeah, really seeing the impact of leverage. And to me, that's, you know, we're on a property podcast here. To me, so so often I see stories of, oh, this property and it was such a great outcome. And actually, when I look at it, I think that's, you're attributing that to because I bought this great property in this great suburb. But I would see that as, yep, leverage was really useful there. <laughs> Magnifying your outcome. That's what leverage does. It magnifies your outcome. Now, it magnifies it both ways. So if it goes down, you're in trouble. But if it magnifies it in the right way, um, that's extremely powerful. And when you think about creating wealth, creating financial security and gaining choice, using leverage is really powerful. And it's interesting how that's that's changed over time. I mean, once upon a time, it was about negative gearing and you, you, if, if we were recommending a strategy for a client, therefore, and, and it's husband and wife, then you'd say, all right, well, we have it in the higher income earner's name because they're going to get the benefit of the negative gearing uh, and you know, there's a tax angle to the strategy in addition to the investment. I mean, the tax angle should be secondary, but it's still there. Today, though, that really doesn't stack up because interest rates are so low that almost nothing is negatively geared. And so we've we've largely flipped. I mean, often for couples these days, we just put it in, in joint names, but you might even put it in the lower income earner's name on the basis that there's not much from a negative uh, from a yeah, negative gearing point of view, could even be positively geared. But of course, at some point, given it's an investment, there's likely to be some capital gains tax. So it probably is more attractive to have it in the lower income earner's name at that you know capital gains tax point. Now, the, the challenge with that is that's usually a long way in the distance and it's a bit hard to know who, what the ownership is best. But, but that's been a real change because it, it was just in the past that was just a real black and white. If you're doing gearing, then it went in the higher income earner's name. doesn't apply anymore. Um, so, yeah, I think in, it just – sorry, slightly off topic there, but getting back to your question, yeah, I, I think it was a wonderful learning for me uh, that that experience of, wow, if you can, if you can use some leverage and, and use it wisely or, or luckily, but let's, let's go with wisely, uh, it can – it can have an enormous impact on your financial position and your financial outcome. Benson then explained the problem with a negative gearing strategy. And at current interest rates, it, 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 it's difficult to make anything negative geared anyway unless it's got a really low rental yield. Um, and, and I don't know, for some reason you had to pay an unusually high rate of interest. But I mean, if you're paying about 2 odd percent in interest, well, in most metro regions your rental yield is going to be two percent ish probably a bit more depends in the area so you know perhaps you're neutrally geared i mean you're going to have council rates and a few expenses if you're negative geared you're not negatively geared by much now that mightn't always be the case at some point you'd imagine interest rates will go back up but for the moment even if you want to be negative geared it's it's pretty tough at the moment and and yeah there is a broader there is a broader question around it's interesting that that we would, in the past, have championed negative gearing. There is the tax angle, but 
set that aside for a moment, negative gearing means that the investment's losing money on an ongoing basis, and you just yeah you're betting that there's enough capital gains to, uh, capital gain to offset that loss. But of course, if you could get a situation where it's neutral or even slightly positively geared, and still have the prospect of capital gain, well, well clearly that's better, isn't it? I mean. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. There's not too many other investments that you would tolerate regularly losing and just hoping that, oh, yeah, that's okay because 10 years down the track it's going to be worth more. Uh, I don't know that people would do that with shares or with, with a lot of other investments. He explained the trick he used to save thousands of dollars on his third property, which was a commercial investment. Yeah, the other properties that we've, we've been involved with uh, – as I mentioned, I, I bought a business in 2008 and uh, that had a, a lease on an office that come due a couple of years later and so it was time to move and I was looking around for office space and I was horrified at commercial property and as an investor, this is why you love it, right? I know, you, I know you're big on, on commercial property, Tyrone, but it's great from an investor's point of view because you kind of just get a shell and it's up to the, the tenant to fit it all out and I was looking at, at a property and, and you've got a it's usually a five-year lease with, with different options so it's a pretty long time frame and the cost of fitting it out I was freaking out. <laughs> Bloody hell, I've got, to spend, I've got to spend all this money getting it looking nice and then maybe five years later I leave and the landlord just goes, oh, thanks for that, I'll just keep that because there's no practical way that you can take that with you and that was pretty off-putting and so... I sort of decided being financial planning, we were doing quite a lot of self-managed super at the time through that whole GFC, self-managed super into property was pretty popular. But look, how about my wife and I create a self-managed super fund, roll our supers in and let's just buy an office. And and, um, through self-managed super, ordinarily you can't lease a property off yourself, but there is an exemption for commercial property. So, uh, So we did that. So then my financial planning business leases the office from our self-managed super fund. Uh, it's got to pay commercial rent and it's all above board and, you know, there's proper contracts and things. Um, and we still do that to this day. So, in fact, the office I'm sitting in right now uh, is is owned by a self-managed super fund. So that solved my problem in that it meant oh, we bought a brand new office uh, and I didn't feel bad about fitting it out because I felt that, well, at least there's, an, there's a value there and if we do leave five years down the track and I lease it out to someone else, then the next tenant is going to appreciate, oh, it's all cut up into nice offices and all that sort of stuff. So I felt a lot better about spending money making it look good. And and kind of, and, and it is just nice to have that security, hey, the landlord's never going to kick you out um, and, and you can sort of take care of the place. I must say, I suspect from an investment point of view, our superannuation balance would probably be bigger if it was still in shares rather than in property. But nevertheless, it solved the problem at the time and I also, the nature of, yeah, for a couple of reasons, my financial planning business, it tends to do better when the share market's going well and it and it, and it's a bit quieter when the share market's weak. And so there was a part of me that just liked the idea of, I'm having some of my wealth and my wife's wealth not tied to the share market, right? And so having a good chunk of our super in a commercial property, you know, there was an element of that that appealed to. (music) 
Coming up after the break, we learn more about another property he bought on a limb right before the pandemic hit. At the beginning of 2020, which is an interesting time to uh, to acquire a property uh, given COVID, uh, obviously that was unforeseen when we were shopping around. We delve more into the future mindset and what he wants to achieve if he retires. I'm not someone who aspires to retire early. In fact, I'd I'd be quite happy to work till I'm 70. The gracious gift that got him interested in investing. And I think that was really key to to getting me started thinking about money and finances and building wealth. All that and more coming up after the break. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey property investor, is your cash or equity currently earning you 1-2% to per annum sitting in the bank? What if I said to you that you can do better? To find out more, simply register your interest to become a money partner at propertyinvestory.com. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest to get a high return with low risk on their money for 6 months. Register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. Benson bought another property on a limb right before the pandemic hit. At the beginning of 2020, which is an interesting time to uh, to acquire a property uh, given COVID, uh, obviously that was unforeseen when we were shopping around, but it, it all worked out all right. But it was interestingly, the reason that came about is because when I was writing the, the, the chapters in my book on property and, and reflecting on different things and I was thinking about that first property that I bought and why that was the success that it was and I sort of recognised, well, the, anyway, some key elements about that. The fact that it was older so it had had all its depreciation, it was kind of as run down as it was ever going to be so the, the only way was up. It was in a really good central location, lots of good public transport, it was solid brick. It didn't have a hundred apartments, it was six in that block, uh, had a car park. Anyway, I just identified some key characteristics that made me realise why that, that property worked. And I guess also just reflecting, I'm no handyman and a, and a key thing that would have put me off investment property historically is I'm not someone that's going to get in there and you know pull apart the kitchen or or I don't want I don't want property maintenance or anything like that. So an apartment or a flat where there's a body corp or an owners corp where I can pay a quarterly fee and I just know they take care of it that that suits me. Um, so anyway, sort of reflecting on this and in writing the book, I wanted to put a case study together. So I was I was just pulling out some numbers. And it became evident to me that, gee, there are properties like that you can buy where the rent, the, the rent would cover the cost of the debt. And you know, we, we had equity in our home uh, and if it was untenanted, we were in a position where we could have carried that or if interest rates went up a bit, I figured, yeah, we could carry that too. Uh, and so I actually said to my wife, just I'd been riding in the morning and I said, look, Let's jump in the car because I, I was Googling, you know, I'm on realestate.com or whatever because I, I wanted to get actual numbers for this case study I was working on. And I'm like, there's a property here in Flemington that's like, here's the rent and here's what it costs. And I'm, well, 
for that money, it just pays for itself. Like it's it, it it's costless to own. Why would you not buy it? There's got to be there's got to be a catch here. So let's jump in the car and it's open for inspection in half an hour. Let's have a look. So we went down there and we're like, this seems pretty good. It had a tenant in it. It was ready to go. And we sort of, oh, yeah. So we tossed it around for a few days and we should have a crack at this. And, of course, by the time we did it, it was sold, right? But it, but that, that gave us the seed for like, well, hang on, maybe there's others. Now, determined to find another property to buy, they kept looking. We had a look around a few more, came across a place in um, – a suburb that most people have probably never heard of, but it's called Travancore, which is kind of near Flemington. It's quite inner city Melbourne, just a really quiet little wedge. But we found a place, I think it's got eight apartments, again, sort of 1970s-ish, had a tenant who wanted to stay. Funnily enough, during the open for inspection, she was there sitting on the couch. So I was actually able to say, well, first, do you want to stay? Yep. Is there any? Is there anything broken? Is there any work you need done? I'm just trying to think through. Am I going to have to spend any money here if I buy this? No, she's happy as Larry. Uh, and so we just sort of, oh, this looks pretty solid. It's an old kitchen. At some point, the kitchen will need to be replaced. But if it's got a tenant, we've got cash flow from day one. Air conditioner was just about new, and and it just fine. And and the commitment was not all that much. We could see that the rent was going to cover the 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 loan and and you know outgoings. Um, so we put in an offer, the offer was accepted, done deal, right? And yeah, as I say, it settled February 2020 and then COVID hit a month later, but it was fine. The tenant, she didn't lose her job and she kept on paying and and it's all worked out well. And, you know, we're really grateful that, that she's been a great tenant and so, you know, we won't be putting up the rent anytime soon. Um, we want to certainly reward it. Yeah, we, we were a bit concerned. I mean, we... We could have managed it, but I'm glad not to have had to. <laughs> you know, had it been empty, it would have been difficult to find a tenant through 2020. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, I dare say we haven't. If, if we sold that property today, I doubt we'd make any money. Almost certainly we wouldn't. But I mean, you don't buy a property with the intention that you're going to sell it 18 months later or not even. Uh, I, I still feel really good about that property. It's an awesome location. It's so good. I mean, if if I was if I was a single person, you know, there's a bike track that takes you into the city just at the bottom of the street. There's a tram at the other end. It's it's really close. You can walk to the the hospitals and all the parks, and and it's got a really big north facing window, and it's on the second story. It gets heaps of natural light. Uh, it's just it's a great place. And yeah, one day we'll we'll put a new kitchen in and that sort of stuff and freshen it up. But the bones are awesome. Benson shares what his why was and the motivation behind accumulating wealth. I guess we've got a, a few um, a few elements and, and, and this is something my wife and I have obviously discussed because as a couple, I'm sure you're the same. I mean, yeah, you've got, to, you've got to work these things out together. It is interesting financial planning how often I get couples in and, and all right, so what do we want to do here and husband and wife have never talked about it and in fact, sometimes it's one of the members of the couple dragging the other one in reluctantly because every time they want to talk about where we want to get to in the future, the other one clams up or walks out the door and so they drag me in to try and you know get it out of them so so yeah so we've got we've certainly got some plans I guess a key certainly self-employed was something that I had always hoped to be one day and and we touched on earlier you know how I manage my week and it's wonderful to have that degree of control and it was great My, my kids are a bit older now but when they were young it was wonderful to be able to do classroom help and do some of these things you know I coached both my boys uh, basketball for for a lot of years 
uh, and you know sometimes it was four o'clock trainings and these sort of things. And being self-employed, being in control of my diary, and just being able to block out time, and I've got this commitment uh, was a key goal for me. And I'm and I'm glad that I've had the opportunity to do that. Uh, we. When my, my youngest is in year 10 now and when he finishes high school for a long time now, my wife and I have had as a goal that we want to be able to live for two to three months a year overseas uh, once once both the boys are adults. And we particularly like the idea of whilst they're at university because then it gives them a bit of freedom but also they can feed the pets and look after the house and stuff while we're gone. So that so that works uh, and we're, we're well on track for that. And in fact, t- to a slight degree, COVID helped there a little bit because it proved that, I mean, I worked from our spare room for almost a year and the business ticked over just fine. So if I can work from a spare room, then I can equally work from some house that we rent in the south of France or something for two or three months, right? So, and it got everyone a bit more comfortable with Zoom meetings and that sort of stuff. So we feel... Clearly, at the moment with COVID, it'd be a bit difficult to travel, but that's not always going to be the case, and it's a few years away f- for us. So the expectation is we're still on track for that, and we feel um, that's more doable than ever, and more positive and more committed to that than ever. And so, yeah, the expectation is two to three months, sort of New York and that area. One year we'll do London and England, and we'll do. Um, several different European countries and, and, and some other parts around the world as well. So certainly looking forward to that phase of our life and that's that's been a key goal that we've worked to for a long time. I'm not someone who aspires to retire early. In fact, I'd, I'd be quite happy to work till I'm 70 perhaps, maybe not five days a week, but I, I really enjoy my work. I, I love it. And so early retirement's not something that appeals to me, but I have – you know, our financial plan is built around us being in a position that I could retire at 60 if I chose. So I've got to work that back as to, right, how much do I need to contribute to super? How much do I need to contribute to other investments? So that at age 60, if I wish, I can retire. As I say, not my intention, but I want to have that option. And so again, that's, that's I guess, the choice uh, scenario. So that's that's a, a, a plan that's that's in progress now and we're, we're um in meeting the goals that we need to meet so that that's a realistic or so that will happen. Although Benson always wanted a mentor, he knows it's proven difficult to find one. So, he took matters into his own hands. I've always been on the lookout for a great mentor and I must say I've never really found one. I think it would be awesome and similarly, uh, I've been on the lookout to help someone else uh, and there is one person that every second month we catch up for lunch via Zoom and just have a bit of a chat. Although, to be honest, the relationship has developed such that I get as much out of it as he does. It's it's really a two-way street. But I did originally approach it on the basis, hey, do you need a mentor? And, you know, if, if you'd like, I'd be there. It's a little bit of an awkward conversation to have, though, because it kind of potentially suggests you're a bit full of yourself, you know, so it's it's slightly awkward. Uh, but but I guess mindful that I couldn't find someone, I was trying to be proactive and, yeah, uh, he, he and I catch up for lunch and it's good. Um, but I think what I found really helpful was colleagues in a similar position to myself. So I was a bit fortunate when I did initially go out on my own, uh, I was under a licensee that was part of a broader group and it had two or 300 different practices around the country and so they'd have a couple of catch-ups each year, a uh, couple that were just 
like Melbourne Metro, but once a year they'd have a big national one. And I always got a lot out of those. It was great to speak to other colleagues in the same boat as me. They weren't mentors, but they were peers. And uh, often, you know, these days, they'd be professional development days typically. And so there'd be guest speakers and economists and various bits and pieces. And actually, the best stuff you got out of the day was the cup of tea or, the, you know, the morning tea break or whatever, when you're just having a chat with someone and they happen to mention, oh, I just discovered you could do such and such and, you know, we helped some clients do this sort of, and you go, that's genius. Why didn't I think of that, right? And then you go back and then you implement that. So uh, mentors, no, but peers, yes, very helpful. I've, I've had a, a couple of times, I mean, I, I've sort of formed one group of different business owners that I knew to see if we could get that to work. It was all right, but it faded out. Uh, I was in a paid sort of... Um, group along those lines where there was someone that sort of hosted it and then half a dozen other business owners around a table. Um, a bit diminishing returns on that. I, I probably got a lot out of that the first three to six months, but then it, it its usefulness diminished. I think everyone had kind of shared their story and maybe I, I'd kind of squeezed the juice out of that, uh, but it was good for a while. So, so yeah, I guess that's, that's what I've found valuable and useful, specifically in terms of my journey as a business owner, which is is frankly the source of of my wealth. I mean, that's how I generate my income, and I'm not I'm not driving around in a Ferrari by any stretch. But you know, we're getting there. It's a process, as I say. I mean, uh, you know, my kids are still at high school, so we've had school fees and bits and pieces, an expensive time of life. But but we're on track. Uh, not surprisingly, as a financial planner, I have a financial plan. We're following it, and we're where we need to be in terms of milestones, which is an important piece of the puzzle. So, um, yeah, and so the business is the business success has been fundamental to that. And so that's as I say, where the peers and 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 the network has been really good. Benson then provided some insight on how he became interested in investing. Uh, my grandfather got me interested in. It was shares, and I know this is a property podcast, but I guess to it was investment broadly, right? And and in fact, the first shares that I owned was some shares that he gave me. He 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 worked for a company called CSR, which is a Jiprock plasterboard and stuff. Some of your listeners might know it, and he worked there, I think, pretty much all his life. And so he must have got given some shares over the journey, and so he he split them up across his eight grandchildren so we all got and it wasn't it wasn't a lot of money but as a teenager I owned some shares and that was back in the day where you got a share certificate even it wasn't all on chess like it is today so that was pretty cool right and that got me interested in investing and I think that was really key to to getting me started thinking about money and finances and building wealth and learning about oh, you get these dividends every six months and the price goes up and down but if I don't sell that doesn't really matter um, so yeah I think learning about that getting some first-hand experience as a teenager was really valuable and I mean we didn't touch on it but it, I mentioned that that first property I bought and it's 10% deposit and I know in the context of today an 11 grand deposit doesn't sound like very much, but it still took me a fair while to save it, especially as I say, I was living in different share houses and things. So I had rent to pay and those type of things. But a key way that I accumulated that was through buying shares. And 
and those shares that my grandfather gave me were part of that. Um, and I wouldn't have necessarily, had he not got me started, I don't know that I would have been buying shares in my 20s. And if I hadn't bought shares in my 20s, then I wouldn't have been able to buy that first property in, I think I bought that when I was 24. And had I not bought that first property, then I couldn't have bought my home. And if I hadn't have bought my home, then I wouldn't have had the equity to buy the business. So it's all a cascade. The domino effect had a positive impact on Benson's investment journey. And we find out what he would tell his past self if he could speak to him now. Can I go back 20 years? Because, because you know, as you can see, I'm bald, and 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 so I, I need to go back. I need to go back longer, and only because I'm thinking. So my oldest son is at university this year, and so I guess what would I say to to him? You know, thinking in in my own shoes, and it was probably perhaps to be a bit more ambitious, but also maybe slightly less worried about what others think and a bit less worried about fitting in, I guess, or doing what everyone else is doing, being a bit more prepared to tread my own path. I mean, I I think I've kind of done that anyway, but maybe I could have fast-forwarded that five or ten years. Um, I don't know. That's about about where I'm at. But as I say, I, 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 I wouldn't change anything. Otherwise, I'd be in a different place now and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm happy with where I am now. Although Benson is extremely successful, he isn't ignorant or entitled. He acknowledges how being born into a privileged life has helped him along the way. However, he also realizes the importance of hard work. I, I mean, there's obviously the luck of being born in a Western country with good health care and good education and yeah. So there's there's clearly luck involved in where we're born and the opportunities that that presents. And obviously, yeah, you know, there's some luck in terms of like particularly that initial property purchase. Um, but beyond that, I think it's been pretty much up to me. I mean doing uni over six years at night whilst working during the day is not everyone's cup of tea and it was important that I did that university study because I mean I could have at the time I could have started as a financial planner without it but I doubt I would have got the job without it anyway and certainly today you can't be a licensed financial planner without a degree so uh, it was important that I got that those studies done and and that then created opportunities for me and yeah, no one else made that happen. So I think everyone's got, as I say, some luck in where you're born and, and the opportunities that that gives. But um, but I'm not going to say it's all luck. Uh, you know, I, I do feel I, I've I've made my own opportunities. And look, maybe I could have made more of it. I could have studied harder and these sort of things. But anyway, we're, we're where we are today, and and it's not a terrible place to be. So. Thank you to Paul Benson, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. And if you love the show and are ready to get serious about investing your money to get a low risk, high return, 
then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a money partner. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest their money for a short 6 months. To register interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.